So it's October 11th, 2015, Sunday morning. I missed you guys. There were piranha in the river. There were caiman in the river. Some fat floating white pastors in the river. And I would like to say that it's good to be in a congregation where everybody is, for the most part, clothed well, because they were all naked there. And you know what? One thing that's true is you can go into a jungle with anacondas and witch doctors, and the man who is filled with the Holy Ghost is the apex predator. Our message today is called The Status Quo. And... I want to congratulate you for surviving the beginning of a worship service that is not consumer-based. We are not here as customers of the living God. We're here as His servants because we love Him. He is not our genie working at our command. We are His slaves working under His direction and His friends. Today you can go to a big box store if you want to. But we still want to be discipled by hand. We want to know what it is to experience the correction of the Lord. The encouragement of the Lord. And know what it is to experience the church in its first century setting. You didn't come in here today because you saw pastors cleverly airbrushed to look like Ken and Barbie on signs. You came in here to encounter the presence of the living God. We make no bones about it. As far as I know, we haven't advertised our church in any way. We want to be judged by one thing and one thing alone. You either felt the presence of God in here or you don't. Everybody that I invite, I say the same thing to. If you come and you don't have an encounter with the living God, if you were not on a collision course, I won't invite you back. But I dare you to come. My heart's desire is that we would have an encounter with the divine that changes us forever. I'm not ashamed to tell you that I've just come from Trinidad, just come from Suriname, just come from French Guyana, even made a short stop in Aruba. And everywhere that we went, in every serious conversation that we had, the Holy Ghost wrecked men's hearts and lives. I watched one of the men from this congregation give his Bible to a taxi cab driver as he was reduced to tears, sobbing like a child, because it's the first time in his life he encountered those who are baptized in God's Holy Spirit. I saw the descendants of slaves who speak a conglomerate language, still only dressed from the waist down, baptized in the Holy Ghost and speak in new tongues and prophesy. There were no long theological debates. The kingdom of God is a matter of power. And they tasted it. I know what it is to walk into a humanitarian effort. Mostly devoid of the spirit and of the things of God. And know instantly that the reason that you are there is because God called you to be a catalyst for change upon the earth. When you walk into a room and there are cessationalists there. When you walk out, they ought not be cessationalist anymore. 
If you have not tasted of the power of our king, I have empathy for you. But I tell you, before you leave here today, you will be faced with the kingdom of God on earth because we are the sons of God. We are his children in love with him and baptized in his presence. We are not here to get along and to go along. We are a catalyst of fire meant to bring heaven and earth into contact with each other. Is that your desire? Can you pray, Lord, your kingdom come? If that is your heart's desire and that's your prayer, then it will certainly happen. Status quo is a Latin phrase that basically means the existing state of affairs. Too long has the church decided to kind of fly under the radar. Too long have we decided that in order to keep up with the Joneses and boast about the number of people who attend our services for the donuts we give them and the Starbucks in the lobby, we'll just kind of leave some of the things that maybe are a little more challenging by the wayside. No, nobody goes to a doctor to be told how wonderful they are. When you come into presence of the living God, you ought to be challenged at your very core level. I want to tell you today that the Spirit of God will not leave you as you are. Religion will leave you as you are. Box store Christianity, consumerism will leave you where you are. If you can show up twice in a month and maybe throw some change in the plate, they're pleased, but God is not. He is looking for the one who all of his heart, all of his soul, all of his strength is wrapped up in the King of Kings. Do you want to be all in or just enough to win the respect of your peers? All in or just enough? What if what they've said is just enough is not nearly enough, friends? What if the status quo was not pleasing to the King of Kings at all? The one who gave his all may not accept from you the bare minimum. Why don't we turn to Matthew 4? I do love this church too, Pastor. <laughs> Pastor Sutherland's developed a Doc Holliday mustache. <laughs> so long as you do not explore the mysteries of the Church of Rome, we'll be fine. Are you in Matthew 4? If you're a guest with us today, I'm excited that you're here. And nothing changes because you're here. Every week, what we do is we go after with all of our heart the seriousness of the kingdom. It's our heart's desire to put people on a collision course with the King of Kings. So we prophesy in our worship services. How many of you received a word today during the worship service? Saints, look around. Look around while the hands are up. The first chapter, I'm sorry, the first letter to the Corinthian church, the 14th chapter and the 27th verse says these things must be done. Not, not they should be done, not they might be done. These things must be done. I defy any man on this earth that says it is not expedient to move in the spiritual gifts. That we should move these things to a back corner. That somewhere, somehow, they'll encounter them somewhere else. The church of the living God is the standard on the earth. And if you're a coward about the spiritual gifts, how will you be a king with Christ? The reason that we preach these things is because in 1993, I heard the audible voice of the King Almighty. And since then, he sent me to more than 20 nations on five different continents. And everywhere we have ever gone, we have seen the same thing. 
men were baptized in his power. Most of whom didn't believe it existed before it happened to them. Oh, isn't that funny about human nature? It's not true until it happens to you. In the fourth chapter of Matthew, Jesus has been baptized. He has been tested. And pick up with me in the 17th verse. From that time on, Jesus began to preach. Somebody say, began to preach. Oh man, if you just had the sermon that the Word of God Himself preached, what would it look like? Well, the men who were writing it down in all four Gospels said the same thing. What did Jesus' sermon look like? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. When you come into contact with the Son of God, you are near the kingdom. And the kingdom message will always be the same. It's not one of repentance once. Come here, Nolan. Nolan, you pray a prayer after me that you do not mean, that you did not write, and I will stamp on your head, USDA Christian. No, this is not the kingdom. The kingdom message is that as the kingdom is being established on the earth, you were confronted in every area of your life at all times, in every way, with a heavenly reality that is coming upon you. A man who is born again, John 3 says, is born from above. The kingdom that recognizes his sovereignty perfectly, you are now confronted with. And you know what it requires? Not one-time repentance. Change in every area of your life at all times, for now and forevermore. You could say always be repenting. Too often we're looking for an experience with God that we can then coast after we've received. And this is how you get such carnal Christianity. These cookie-cutter Christians... The truth is, is that when you become a son of God, you become an ambassador of the king and you carry his message. Something about your life is challenging to all who meet you. Something about your life brings hope to all who meet you. Something about your life puts people in a position to either repent or to carry on in their sin. We were never supposed to leave people as we found them. Jesus' message was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Look at the Beatitudes. You need not scan down very far in your Bible before you start seeing what a collision with the kingdom causes. Matthew 5, 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit when you encounter the purity of the kingdom. You're crushed in your very soul because you recognize that that purity is not found in your natural state. When you encounter the beauty of the Christ, you're crushed in your very soul because you're utterly bankrupt and devoid of anything that is good. And you know it. This testimony that says, I was always a pretty good old boy and then I desired to follow Jesus is a lie. No one comes to know Jesus that way. These are thieves that have crawled over the wall through some backdoor dealing. The beginning of the kingdom is to deny yourself. To take up your instrument of death, your cross, and to follow Jesus. To do that, when you hear a word like, go heal the sick, raise the dead, you are utterly incapable of such things. The message of the kingdom causes you to recognize the poverty of your spirit. Matthew 5, 4, blessed are those who mourn. When you recognize your situation... You begin to mourn over your circumstances. If you're happy with your best life now, I feel sorry for you. You and the clown that preaches that message, you're in for a rude awakening. 
By the way, I forgot to start our service like we normally do. Islam is of the devil. Muhammad was a pedophile. Allah is Satan. There, now we're clear. In Matthew 5, 4, those who mourn. Why are you mourning? You're mourning over your own state. Matthew 5, 5, blessed are the meek. This kind of meekness is a lack of resistance to what God wants to do in your life. When you encounter the kingdom, you feel poverty in your very soul. You begin to mourn over your state, and it makes you less resistant to what God wants to do. How many of you know if you follow Him, you're going to have to get rid of idols? Poverty of spirit is when you look at your idols and you go, I thought I wanted this, but it hasn't done anything for me. Mourning over it is, Lord, I'm sorry, I've chased after this my whole life. Meekness is when for the first time in your life, you're going, Lord, I don't want to resist the direction you want me to go. I chased for the brass ring and it's left me feeling hollow. I'm sorry. Where do you want me to go? You find that in Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That... There's a progression in these attitudes that causes you to hunger for what you're seeing before you. You've now encountered real righteousness, not commercialism sold to Americans who want to go to heaven but do not want God to be there when they get there. You have to have what you see in the Christ or His representative before you. And you are hungering for it as He begins to fill you, which that same verse promises He will do. Something else happens. Blessed are the merciful. Why are you merciful? Because any man that understands the poverty of his own soul, any man who mourns over that and becomes less resistant to what God is doing in his life so that he can be filled with righteousness, he can't look at everybody around him as as vengeful or, or, or judgmental because you've been sown such mercy. How could you not want everyone to walk in that mercy? Blessed are the merciful. Why? They received mercy. How how could you be vindictive towards someone when your debts were forgiven? Did you know that this passage ends with a prohibition? It's also found in Matthew 18, 37. If you don't forgive, you cannot be forgiven. How's that for a kingdom truth? that comes straight to you and will make you mourn over your condition. Oh, I know more Christians that are trapped in unforgiveness. More Christians that say, I've forgiven them, I just don't like them. I've forgiven them, I just snarl when I think about them. Church, have you ever considered that the reason that the trials that come to you have come to you is the devil is just hoping that you will carry a little bit of unforgiveness in your baggage? It will rob you of your power. It will rob you of your representation of Christ. He was not that way. By the way, when you've been shown mercy and you begin to show mercy, the eighth verse, blessed are the pure in heart. When you begin to desire for other people the things that God desires for them, your heart becomes pure before Him. Blessed are the peacemakers is the next verse. Not the peacekeepers. Not those who sit back and simply pray for peace. Not those who talk a good game about peace. Those who will go to the ends of the earth to help people get put into right standing with God and man. 
You know, it's one thing to sit back and talk about praying for peace. It's another to interject yourself into a situation of warfare and make it, demand it, stand for nothing less than it. Are you satisfied that they murder children in our city? I don't think that's okay. Are you okay with the fact that we have a, a homosexual mayor who is pushing a I'm not okay with it. Are you okay with the fact that suburbanites all around us believe themselves right with God because six-foot-tall icicles have lied to them about doctrinal statements? I'm not okay with it. Do you want to make peace or will you sit on your salvation? How do you make peace, by the way? You're going to have to have the kingdom with you and people are going to have to be confronted with it in you. There is no way you can be right with man and wrong with the king of kings. There is no way that when you get right with the king of kings, he will not show you how to relate to your fellow man. Do you know what the natural result of being in the kingdom is? It's verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. When's the last time you were hated because of Christ? See, box Christianity, the Home Depot mentality, has everyone loving you. And you'll do whatever it takes for everyone to love you. Guys, the Protestant Reformation began kicking against such kind of worship. You know, everyone loves the Pope. He comes to this country and our newscasters grovel over it. They, they are moved to tears at the sight of an Antichrist on the earth. And we're disgusted by it. But each week, we go to hear how great our leaders are. Each week... We go to a place that its only accreditation is how many other people go to that place. Today I'm going to talk to you about the kingdom breaking out among us. About the kingdom message that you carry changing lives and radically shaking the earth. Not from a popular puppy dog message. Not moving people through emotionalism. The kingdom's power breaking in among the lives of the lost. Because I've just come from a jungle. 95% rainforest. Worship of demonic entities all around us. And you know what? It is so clear in that setting who is of the kingdom and who only talks a good game. So take us to your witch doctor. Take us to those that you believe have power. Because in the name of Jesus, we will see an Elijah-like moment. I'm begging you, take me there. When that makes people uncomfortable who claim to have the same experiences you've had, that could make you scratch your head, could it not? In Matthew 6, notice some of these words. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men. Your acts of righteousness. In Hebrew, this is a phrase called zedekah. Your acts of righteousness. These are acts that are prompted by faith. You notice, he didn't say pray whether or not you do them. He said simply be careful how you do them. By the way, why don't you glance at verse 2? In verse 2, so when you give to the needy. He doesn't say if you give to the needy. He says when you give to the needy. By the way, pick up then in verse 5. What does 5 say? And when you pray, not if you pray, 
How about verse 16? And when you fast. Do you notice that it is assumed that when a man has a collision with the kingdom of God, it affects every area of his behavior, his finances, his prayer life, even when he does and does not eat? Seeker sensitive. If you've embraced a gospel that says all you have to do is raise a pinky while somebody else prays, and then he proclaims from a stage that he saw that pinky in the back. I want to tell you that no coward will enter the kingdom. I didn't say that. The word says that. Amen. The gospel has to show up in every area of our life. Do you know why? Because if you're going to be an ambassador of the king, there is no part-time position. Every area of your life is on display for the whole world. It's on display for the whole world to both confront their sin... And also give them hope that there is righteousness in store for those who are broken by their sin. Oh, do you want to represent the king well? With all of my heart, I do. And in verse 10 of Matthew 6, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want to ask you, in your life, do you talk more about the will of God than you do the will of God? Have you been saying for years that you're going to do such and such a thing? Or do you find yourself daily doing the will of God? See, I got born again out of a religious spirit. I believed that because I could say, Lord, Lord, and quote the Roman road to salvation, that I was good, you know. I could agree to 14 points of doctrine. And the politician preacher who had led me in those 14 points of doctrine, he considered me saved. He baptized me himself. There was never a change in my nature. I was involved in sin with the people I was sitting with in the church, but nobody cared about such things. Only what does your mouth say? And if you could say Jesus is Lord, then buddy, you're a Christian. I have encountered demons that acknowledge Jesus is Lord. And some of them outside of the church. <laughs> Matthew 7, 21 says, Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter my kingdom. Hear this. But only he who does the will of my Father in heaven. The question is not, can you say, Lord? The question is, are you doing his will? It's not just our prayer, friends. It is also our lifestyle, our action. One German evangelist said, you sit and pray for the will of God and I will run you over from behind doing the will of God. Well, this is a church where you better get out of the passing lane if you're not serious. Because you're surrounded by people whose lives should be spurring you on to righteousness. I'm not here to tell you today that you don't have the kingdom within you. I'm here to tell you today that because you have the kingdom in you, it should produce a certain kind of life, a certain kind of confidence. I want to start with you in the law. We will go from the law to the prophets, to the writings, to the Brit Hadashah. We will cover the entire canon of the word today in a way that hopefully blesses you and you remember it. But if not one of you is blessed, and yet you live differently, then I would call that a blessing. If all of you love the message and say, Oh, pastor, what a fantastic message! And you walk out and you live the same way, then I am utter failure. 
Church, too long have we performed for the praise of men. Did you hear the prophecy this morning? The days are coming. I think they're already here. When the Lord will allow His church to be hit with a hammer. It will scatter. It will cause those who are involved in a lesser form of Christianity to wake up or to fall out. Have you ever read Matthew 24? The love of most will grow cold. Well, if we teach them every day that God wants them rich and that He will never let them suffer and that basically He's their ticket to Disneyland, what do you think we are setting them up for? Turn with me to Genesis. If you can find the first chapter, then you'll be in the right place. There are some babies in here that we're going to pray for. In January, we saw extraordinary miracles in their lives. The one-year birthday of Eliana Clement is coming up, and we're going to celebrate it like a boss. There are miracles in our midst. We do not just preach the kingdom. We are experiencing the kingdom. There are little boys sitting on the second row in our church that grew out ribs. There are mamas in our church that were given death sentences by doctors, and yet they're alive today. When you preach the kingdom, the kingdom shows up in your preaching. If what you are doing is selling some kind of strange insurance based on health, wealth, and success, then you'll have to point to your numbers for your affirmation. I remember hearing phrases like, Hey, brother, there's a name attached to every one of those numbers. Really, pastor, how many of them can you name for me? I remember hearing phrases like, hey man, if it's not growing, it's dead. How does that work in John 6? When Jesus reduced his megachurch of 4,000 down to a handful. And the handful were only there because they said, where would we go? You have the very words of God. You know who we want sitting in here? Those who believe Jesus Christ is the very word of God. And his word directs every area of their life. We want those that we can disciple. They want to be discipled. We want those who are going to dedicate their life, even if it costs them their death. You know what's not interesting to this body of believers? Socially acceptable Christianity. Jesus Christ was a revolutionary. And if you are going to follow him, he will cause a revolution in your heart and soul that reaches every family member you have, every neighbor you have, every workplace you have. You will not be able to help but speak about His goodness. And if that is not your heart today, then I say, wake up, wash your face, sinner. Let Christ's light shine upon you that you might come to your senses. There is a doling influence on the church right now. Our affluence is trying to put us to sleep, so our benevolent, loving God will strip us of that affluence. It is coming. Are you in Genesis 1? Start in verse 3. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and He separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness He called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Now, with any luck, most of you could probably quote that. Well, I want to point you to a seriously obvious truth. So obvious that it might be overlooked at times. God's Word changed everything. 
His word entered into the darkness of a situation. And it radically transformed it. It brought separation between darkness and light. The Jewish day goes from evening to morning. Morning is light. Church, I want to encourage you that if you're in a dark situation, it will not stay that way. When the word of God enters you, it is a catalyst for change. And the end of the matter will be that night has passed and you are standing in the day. How do we know such things? Because in Revelation 22.5, at the end of the book, there is no more night. So what entered the world as God's word and it created light. By the time that catalyst began working through the creation, day after day after day, we create an environment where there is no more night. The Word of God has been doing this in our lives. The reason that the Jews go from evening to morning is to remind you that you're on a path that is taking you out of darkness and putting you straight into the light. And what is the vehicle for that? God's Word. It is not possible for you to receive God's Word and be unchanged. I was sitting with an attorney in this town who was telling me how bad Splenda was for you. And he was telling me about his multi-billion, billion with a B, dollar lawsuit. And I had sitting in front of me iced tea. And while he was talking, I was opening Splenda. And I was putting Splenda. He says, I, I don't think you hear me. I said, no, I hear you fine. I just don't care. Right? That's how the gospel is to people all of the time. They hear you. They might even agree with you. They just don't care. Then they have not received the seed. It's hitting rocky soil. Let me ask you, how's the soil of your heart? Because when the Word of God is hitting it, that revelation demands a response. It's not possible to keep putting splendor in your drink if you believe it's killing you while you're putting it in your drink. Unless, of course, you don't care. The Word of God is catalyst of fire. Catalyst is something that produces change. You introduce it into a chemical situation and you get new compounds. You get new things. It breaks up the status quo. It changes the state of everything. The gospel is first and foremost a catalyst. It changes the status quo. You show me a man who's received the gospel truly, and I will show you a man who every area of his life is under constant renovation and revolution. You show me someone who is comfortable and complacent, and I'll show you a man that the gospel is not working in. Perhaps the seed was there, but something has happened. Oh, church, are you being disciplined? Have things not gone the way you wanted in the last week or two? You know, there was a guy moving from... Jerusalem down to Jericho. He was on the right road, but he was headed the wrong way. And because God loved him, he allowed a beating to happen. That might have been the best thing ever happened in his life. Sometimes catching a beating is about the only thing that will get you to wake up and open your eyes and go, you know what? Maybe the direction I was going is not the right direction at all. Thank God for the discipline of the Lord. Don't despise it. You are His children. If He doesn't have a right to discipline you, who does? And if the answer is nobody, what does Hebrews 12 say about you? Well, the nice word is illegitimate. 
It's not the actual word in the text, but it's the nice word. Church, I want to be an authentic son of God. Do you? Moving on from the law, go with me to the prophets. Most people have this on t-shirts. You go, oh man, we all know this. Yes, but do you live this? It's not enough to know the word. To be a hearer of the word might deceive you. To be a doer of the word will definitely save you. In Zechariah 4, say there when you were there. We're going to pick up in 4.6. We will not move forward until you get there. If you can't find Zechariah, start in Matthew and work to your left. There's only two books that start with Z in all of the Older Testament. If you have sections of your Bible that are not well read, let me just go ahead and say it nicely with a big smile. Shame on you. Love the Word of God. Read it all. I just came from a people that do not have the Word of God translated into their own language. We're giving out copies of partial Bibles starting only in the New Testament and they're reduced to tears when they hear it. It changes everything about them. Just because you've had the Word of God all of your life, don't leave it sitting on the back seat of your car. Love it. Read it. Cherish it. Don't settle for what you get from a pulpit, especially not most pulpits. Read the Word so that you're not deceived. We live in a day when people are surviving on junk food Christianity, mere slogans and bumper stickers, when you ought to be devouring the heavenly feast of the Word of God. In Zechariah 4, starting in verse 6, So he said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. What are you, O mighty mountain, before Zerubbabel? You will become level ground. Then he will bring out the capstone to shouts of God bless it, God bless it. Then the word of the Lord came to me. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands will also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. Pastor Wade last Sunday preached about afraid of the darkness. He said, when you really enter into the light, it will drive out fear from your life. When the Word of God enters you, you begin to operate by faith, not fear. This last Wednesday, he said, favor ain't fair. He was preaching about the life of Saul, preaching against self-reliance. This passage, Zerubbabel had a monumental task before him. How do you rebuild Solomon's temple while Israel is not in its glory days? And will it measure up to the previous temple? So many weights and concerns upon him. And the Lord's comfort was it would not be by his might or his power. How many things are in your planner? How many things are in your cell phone that you can truly say could never be accomplished within your own strength? Do you still make most of your plans based on what you can accomplish? Because when you come into contact with the King of Kings and He has set up residence inside of you, most of your day ought to be filled with things you could never accomplish. The temple was a task too big for one man. And yet this word says, His hand has started it and His hand will also complete it. You know why? When you rely on the Spirit of God, then He who began the good work in you will be faithful to complete it. 
not talking about your salvation today as much as I'm talking about the results of your salvation. Go with me to Colossians 1. Then we'll go back to the writings. Colossians 1, starting in 24. Say there when you were there. If you're used to three points in a poem, you will get a Bible exercise today. And that's just fine. We need to become intimately familiar with this book and less familiar with our pastor's favorite football teams in ridiculous analogies. In Colossians, the first chapter, starting in the 24th verse, on the topic of not self-reliance but spirit-reliance, now I rejoice in what was suffered for you. How many people would say that in the natural? And I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. Let me ask you, where is that in today's gospel presentation? How many times are people being told that they may get the privilege of filling up in their flesh what was lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions? Because I can tell you, when you get born again off of the Surinamese River... If you happen to be the descendants of African slaves called the Saramakans, and your ancestors worship spirits, and your village has a witch doctor and worship spirits, when you get born again, you may actually experience what it is to suffer for the gospel. Because the first thing that will happen is you'll be ostracized. The next thing that will happen is every bad thing that a demonic spirit does to some subject will get blamed on you. They might even think the best way to appease their demonic gods is to hurt you. Can you rejoice in that situation? Or has your doctrine taught you it's not even possible for you to face that situation? Let me ask you, are you better than the Apostle Paul who rejoiced in this situation? Has something fundamentally changed about God and those He called since the first century? And if it has changed, then what's to guarantee that we are not dealing with shifting shadows that change all of the time? For the sake of His body, which is the church, I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present you the Word of God in its... No, no, no. To present the Word of God in its... To present the Word of God in its... How dare us boil it down to a single sentence? How dare us decide that some parts of it are not expedient? How dare us decide that we want only what is palatable to the masses? God gave him a commission to present the Word of God in its... Are you guys full gospel? We most certainly are not then what part did you decide to leave out? I met people in Suriname that seemed unfamiliar with Cornelius' experience. Seemed unfamiliar with Acts 19. Unfamiliar with Acts 8. Unfamiliar with these things. I got to tell a few of my favorite jokes. Why was John the Immerser Referred to as John the Baptist. Because he never did any miracles. When reading the first chapter of Acts, I got to tell another one. What would have happened if they did not wait in Jerusalem for 40 days? You can fill those in. In Colossians, when we were thinking about this topic... 
There was a power in Paul that caused him to rejoice even when suffering. His goal was to present the fullness of the gospel, not some icing part, not some part that he thought would win the largest crowd. I doubt seriously that in the month of February he preached on relationships and uh, Cupid. Probably in Chris, at Christmas he did not sit around and preach about uh, Christmas trees and candy canes. He preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do we need parlor tricks? Do we need themed messages and clever programs? Or do we simply need the power of the gospel? Let me ask you, why did those things enter the church? Is it because there stopped being healings at the altar? To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The Word of God enters your heart. And it doesn't stop there. That seed grows into something. The hope of the gospel is Christ being formed in you. So let me ask you, do you have an 8-pound, 11-ounce, golden diaper baby Jesus in you? Or do you have the fully formed King of glory in you? And if the fully formed King of glory is in you, then when you enter a room, why does everything not change around you? You know why the men in this church can go swim with piranhas? Why we can swim in a river where we spotted crocodiles? Because we're the most dangerous thing in the river. That's why. Amen. Do you know why we can walk into ancestral worship? Why we can walk into animism? Why we can say, please, by all means, bring me to your witch doctor. Even before we had our first cup of coffee? Because Christ is formed in us. Do you know why we can do it? Not just in Suriname, but in India. Not just in India, but in Romania. In Africa, anywhere that we go. Because if Christ is in you, what is going to stand against you? Amen. How is it that the American church is so well fed and yet so spiritually anemic? How is it that the American church is so full of words and so lacking in confidence? You know, I used to preach in circles where they said, oh, don't, don't make them doubt their salvation. I said, why? They're already going to hell. How much worse could it get? But we just don't, we don't believe that. Well, you could never convince me I'm lost, friend. Why do you need somebody to convince you you're saved? Why do you see the biggest danger to your salvation that you have to work it out with fear and trembling? Could it be because you're playing games with these people? You don't just have one youth group in your church. Your whole church is a youth group. When you have Christ formed in you, something happens. Verse 28, we proclaim Him admonishing. Oh, that's an interesting word. Admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone marginally good in Christ. Why would we dare to leave someone in their error? Why would we leave someone living less than the fullness of the gospel? And what kind of crime is it to take their money in the form of a tithe, pat them on the back and tell them they're good people when they are not living the fullness of the kingdom? 
We will not be satisfied here until there is a fully formed Christ functioning in you. And when the fully formed Christ shows up, we will know it by the deeds in your life. Every tree is known by its fruit. To this end. To what end? Perfection. This end. Struggling with all whose energy? All His energy which so powerfully works in me. Can you say that with a clear conscience, friends? Can you say His energy is working powerfully in me? Are you more comfortable speaking about someone else, somewhere else? Oh, when Christ is formed in you, when you've tasted of the gospel, when you've gone from broken and contrite to equipped and empowered, nobody could ever convince you He's not with you. It doesn't matter to me if everybody else runs, but I know that the kind that we take on trips with us would never run. It doesn't matter if they all run. I am absolutely convinced that His power is inside of us. For this reason, we can walk into a church setting and say, no, we don't speak the language. No, you don't have an Old Testament. Oh, I'm sorry. You know what we're going to do? In a language you don't understand, we're going to preach from the books you don't have. And people are still going to get healed. People are still going to get filled with the Spirit. And if you have some shrine or idol, then we will spit on it on the way out of town. We will do whatever it takes to be offensive to your gods because they are offensive to us. Y'all come and watch. And you know what happened? They got healed. They got filled with the Holy Ghost. You know who was most surprised? The religious. Let me ask you, what kind of power did you receive? What kind of gospel did you receive? Do you look for Elijah-like moments or do you shrink back, scared to death that the sincerity of your faith would be put to the test? Have you relied on your talents? Is the reason people love you is that you're charming, that you tell good jokes, that you can entertain a crowd? Or are they drawn to the life-transforming power of the gospel inside of you? I think one of the reasons that God called this brutish pastor to be one of your pastors is I have absolutely no talents. I'm tenacious. That's about it. So the only reason that you could care anything at all for me is the sincerity of the gospel inside of me. I feel sorry for those that are so tragically good-looking that people might actually go to their church because they look like Barbie dolls. I feel sorry for those that are presenting a message of health, wealth, and success because how could you ever know whether people were there for Jesus or for the goodies that you can get from Him? The gospel of Jesus Christ is not about your might. It's not about your strength. It's about the level to which you are submitting to His Spirit. In fact, the Scripture says, as many as are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. Let's do this. Let's race forward to the writings in Psalm 82. Are you guys still with me? Would you rather that I go back to Suriname? We were in French Guyana. And uh, I was greatly wishing Bosch was with me because he speaks French. So we texted him. When I was in Suriname, I was speaking with the Dutch and I got in touch with David Lyons. 
in David Lyons phonetically spelled out for us, gospel communications. By the way, Dutch sounds incredibly like you drank milk and are trying to spit something up. So Baj sends us a phrase, just, just one word. We said it and said it and said it, and now I'm turning on Nick. You know, I'm looking at Nick like, well, your dad speaks French, man. You know? <laughs> we eventually turn the word around, and the small child goes, <laughs> he says it, and we're like, oh, yeah. In French, you have to swallow the last half of the word. We had, we had no idea that it sounds nothing like it's actually written. <laughs> you know, go figure that those letters are completely irrelevant. So we're leaving French Guyana and we meet a woman who was adopted by a Canadian couple and raised in a home that was religious but had no power. Her name was Barekia. Barekia. It's two Hebrew words put together incorrectly actually. But in any case, her parents were trying so we'll give them a break. She's become a universalist. She likes to talk an awful lot about energy. I said, it's interesting that you mentioned energy, Barekia. I'd like to talk to you about the energy that you see in us. And for the next two hours, Barekia got to hear about the power of God. She confessed things like, I've never met Christians like y'all, and I think this is wonderful and it's beautiful. You know? We are supposed to put people on a collision course with the kingdom. The next day, the same cab driver named Xavier ended up with Nick Aragina's Bible in his hands and just reduced to tears praying what sounded like for salvation. Everywhere that you go, at all times and in every way, you're an ambassador of the king. His word is in you. He has put his hand in you. And he began it and he will complete it. The question is, what are you relying on? Have you become more comfortable with doctrine than you have miracles? Has Christianity become an intellectual exercise for you? Perhaps you need an Elijah-like moment to wake you up. Are you in Psalm 82? God presides in the great assembly. He gives judgment among the gods. This is such an interesting sentence. In Hebrew, it's Elohim presides in the... Where you see the word great, that's actually El, another name for God. God presides in the God assembly. He gives judgment among the Elohims. <laughs> wow, there's an awful lot of God in that sentence. It turns out that when He... When he called you, when he made you, when he made mankind, he made mankind in his little chips off the great big block. He expected you to act like him. He expected you to function like him. And before sin entered the creation, we would rule in his place. In other words, we would be an extension of his kingdom on the earth. As we are born again in Christ, we are renewed to his image. And we are an extension of His reign on the earth. When we say in the name of Jesus, what we are actually saying is in the work of Jesus, in the character of Jesus. We are an extension of Jesus. Can you say that with a straight face? Are you an extension of Jesus? Because when you begin to believe that you are, 
when the kingdom confronts every dark little corner of your life so that you can honestly say, I'm broken by it, Lord, and I am now meek. Change me. Fill me with your righteousness. And he does. You look for the opportunity to represent him. You can't help it. You shine for him everywhere you go. We, we ministered. To, look, I don't know what it is. It must be Nick. I don't know what it is about me that would cause this to happen. But a guy walks up and says, hey, man, you want cocaine? <laughs> he said, I have ecstasy right here. Do you know what it does to a fully grown man, especially one that you have to look up to, to put your hands on both of his shoulders and say, God meant so much more for you in this life than for you to sell things that destroy lives. Shame on you. We saw foreign drug dealers cower to the gospel of Jesus Christ. They didn't even get to the prostitutes. Church, we have the answer to the world's problem. How long can you hide it? Oh, man, if you really have the light of the world, can you hide it under your religious lampshade? I told you to go to Psalm 82. God presides in the great assembly. He gives judgment among the gods. How long will you defend the unjust and show partiality to the wicked? God is upset when those who are supposed to look like Him and act like Him are not concerned with the things He's concerned with. Look, we have church service after church service. You know, how you can be more successful. How you can have more blessings. As if that's really what's ailing the American church is you don't have enough blessings. We might even do a whole series on how to communicate with each other. What ridiculous garbage. How about we get in touch with the character of God so that we begin to imitate Him? Do you think the biggest problem that we have in the world is that we don't communicate well with each other? How about that out of the overflow of a man's heart he speaks? Your problem's not your communication. It is your wicked heart. It needs to be transformed. It needs to be renovated. Communication's just an excuse to hide your wickedness. Defend the cause of the weak and the fatherless. How much of your church life has been spent defending the cause of the weak? This is God's heart. Oh, we can entertain youth. We can, we can move a crowd. The heart of God is in defending the weak. That's His heart. To maintain the rights of the poor and the oppressed. Church, this is God's heart. He's speaking in the assembly of those who were called to be gods. And look at what He's telling them to do. Rescue the weak and the needy. You know... Most pastors have no time for the weak and the needy, which begs the question, can you be a pastor? Have you ever read Ezekiel 34? <laughs> we won't read it today. You should make a note. Go home and see, see what God says about pastors that do not rescue the weak and the needy. They know nothing. They understand nothing. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. Why are the foundations of the earth shaken when God's people don't act like Him? Keep your finger here and turn to 1 Timothy 3, 15. Actually, let's just put it on a screen and you keep your finger here. I rarely lie when I'm preaching. And if you take good notes, you'll catch me if I do. 
If I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the foundation of truth. What is the pillar and the foundation of truth? The church is. The church on earth is God's agency. It's that place where the seed first hits and it grows to maturity so that you could go there and see what God himself is like. And when the church ceases to do the works of Christ, it's like tearing apart the foundations of the earth. We cannot run our churches like theme parks. 58 minutes from doorbell to doorbell, the best experience you ever had. This is a facade and a joke. The foundations of the earth are shaking because the church is not doing its job. Now stop thinking about the church as some other institution. You are the church. This little row right here is one church brick after one church brick rising to become a structure that God himself dwells in. The question is, can you really go to an institution that God is not, in fact, reigning in, and it still be the church? Well, sure you can, because it's what everybody else does. And if there's lots of numbers, then, of course, it's the way to go. Guys, I'm not teaching some strange esoteric truth. This is the basics of the gospel. It is so basic that you can teach it anywhere in the world and where people receive it, miracles break out. Amen. You find it strange, I mean just a little bit, that there's only 120 people in the upper room praying just before Pentecost. How many thousands did Jesus minister to? Did you know that 500 saw him resurrected in those 40 days? Where were the other 380? Who told you the gospel would have mass appeal? Did you know that the gospel actually says, Woe unto you when all men speak well of you? And that it's true that only a few will be saved? Does that surprise you? The gospel is revolutionary. And when people realize it will cost them their lives, only those who were born of heaven will be there to want to give their lives. Are you guilty of watering down its purity? I said you are gods. You are all sons of the Most High. I've never heard this verse read with, uh, without extensive clarification. You know, I know he said gods, but... but uh, Oh, we're not new age. <laughs> Do you really think you have to defend God's word? What kind of perverse mind would hear you read God's word and associate it with new age? Church, you need to defend God's word about as much as you need to defend a lion. Open the book and let it out. Open its cage and let it out. In what sense did he say you are sons of the Most High, you're all gods? You were born of heaven to be like God, you're supposed to be a chip off of the bigger block. You are supposed to be his ambassador, his representative. A man named Jim Elliott used to begin his meetings by apologizing for being a poor representation of the king of kings. But I think he did pretty well. He died for him and saw an entire tribal people group born again because of his sacrifice. How's that for consumer Christianity? Go and die that they might live. 
He said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain, that which he cannot lose. But the church today is all about what it can gain. Jesus is just a credit card. I said, you are gods. You are all sons of the Most High. 1 John 1.12 says, As many as who believed on Him, He gave the right to become sons of God, children of God. Your belief in Him is supposed to produce something in you. It's supposed to produce God's character. This means that when you show up in a room, the same thing that if God showed up in the room is supposed to happen. Who told you to set your expectations lower than that? Why would we settle for that? Romans 8, 14 says, As many as who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. God's Spirit will lead you into things that could never be done by your might and your power, only by His Spirit. He will lead you into the greater works of Christ. Are you risking your life and your reputation for Him? Are you living safely among the well-fed sheep? So, well, Pastor, we don't all get a chance to go to Suriname. Sure you do. Sure you do. Every day you'll get a chance to speak for Him. When you leave this building, you'll get a chance to speak for Him. You've just gotten used to going about your day without doing it. You've gotten used to the status quo, the existing state. Church is something that you do on Sundays and Wednesdays or Mondays, or Fridays, or Thursdays. In this church, we, we meet pretty well all day, every day. Church, we are supposed to be the most radical thing this planet has ever seen. In 2 Corinthians 6, 17 and 18, we're going to stay in also Psalm 82. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you will be my sons. Are you really separate from the world? And in what kind of way? Some weird religious rules that you made up? You don't cut your grass on Sunday or something stupid like that? How about the matters of the heart? How about that when His Spirit says it, you do it immediately? Where others only do things that are self-interest, you do things that are self-debasing but spirit-exalting. Oh, how easily we fall into religious rules. Don't eat, don't touch, don't taste. How about obedience that is better than sacrifice? What has your obedience cost you? You know, obedience that doesn't cost you anything might, well, it's cheap. If I tell my children to eat ice cream, they obey every time. I tell them to eat Brussels sprouts, that's a whole nother deal. Nobody should eat Brussels sprouts, by the way. That's disgusting. (laughs) has to be good for you when it's just that grotesque, huh? Please do not give me your recipes for Brussels sprouts and tell me yours are better. They're all terrible. Let's just clear that up right now. Come apart and be separate, and I'll receive you as sons, he said. There's nothing separate about your best life now. That's what every wicked, lost person on the planet wants. There's nothing separate about celebrity Christianity. Let's fly in this movie star. Maybe we can drop him from a plane. You know what? I don't need a football player to teach me about Jesus. You know why I don't need a football player to teach me about Jesus? Jesus is enough all by himself. I don't need any additions. 
Back in the day, I remember when they said Deion Sanders got saved, and then it was Emmett Smith, and I'm like, so there is hope for the Dallas Cowboys, right? I haven't watched football in 20 years. I care about Jesus. That's who I care about. He's my passion. You know what the... There, there is a group of people in Suriname that were excited and, 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 and met us, and I love them, and they're amazing. Uh, and they'll remain nameless for right now because they all just got spirit-filled and began prophesying and their world changed. And that's going to be a problem for their base of support who doesn't believe those things happen anymore because they most certainly are happening right now. Because when we walked in the room, everything changed because God is with us. But um, those folks there, they just love the Word. And what they said about us was, We've never seen people that carry their Bibles to go swim. We've never seen people that carry their Bibles everywhere they go. We've never seen people that all they do is discuss the Word all day. I said, I'm so sorry you haven't met Christians. Oh, no, no, we've had medical missions. We've had Christians. I said, I know what you've had. I'm so sorry you haven't met Christians. So how, how, could you, how could you say that? I didn't say it. You said it. You said you've never seen people that love the Word of God like we do. This is not extraordinary. This is the status quo. We're supposed to be shaking it up and going further, not resting in what we have. How is it that you've made it this far without the Word of God? Y'all still love me? Do you think that if you didn't, it would change anything that we taught? I love you too. I think this is an amazing church. When I was thinking about what to share this morning, I was overwhelmed with 2 Peter 1.4. We're going to go back to Psalm 82 and finish this message. But the reason I was overwhelmed with it, Galatians 4.6 speaks about being a son of God, but 2 Peter 1.4 says this, Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in... I, I, look, how could you let that just roll off your tongue? Participate in what? See, when, when you were broken and, and, and contrite, when you recognized the utter poverty of your spirit, did you ever think in that moment that you were declared an adulterer, in that moment that you were a thief, a slanderer, an idolater, in that moment... When you were wicked and deserved damnation, could you imagine not just love and acceptance? I mean, love and acceptance, that's wonderful. But I'm talking about a whole nother level to participate in the divine nature of God. Can you imagine such a thing? <clears throat> this means that when you show up in a room, His nature has shown up with you. Now, friends, what happened when Jesus showed up somewhere? You, you won't find any gospel stories where it says, you know, and then Jesus entered the city and it was all pretty well the same. What would you expect to happen? A city, Matthew 21, the whole city was astir because Jesus entered. Okay, well, Jesus is in the room. He's in the room inside of you and I. The hope of the gospel 
is that Christ would be formed in you. Have you settled for something less? Because you were meant for so much more. I have said you are gods. You are all sons of the Most High, but you will die like mere men. You will fall like every other ruler. Oh, my goodness. The injunction against the religious leaders of the day was that they were called to be like God, but they were acting like mere or regular men. You know, that reminded me of John 10. Turn with me to John 10 and we will camp around this passage as we bring this message to a point of personal application. Amen. Amen. You know, I just came from a place there was no air conditioning, there was no concrete on the floor. Good Lord, there were not even shirts on the people. And you know what? Not one person seemed bored. Not one person was struggling to stay awake. Nobody's filing their nails or checking their Facebook account. You want to know why the poor are rich in faith? Because they're desperate for God. How desperate for Him are you? Whatever else you have to do today, I'm just going to jump out there and say it pales in comparison with what you could get in the next few minutes. I'm not selling you something. You know good and well, we don't even take up an offering. I could care less about your money. I expect your obedience to the Christ. I expect your seriousness about the gospel. I expect that the grace that God has shown you would not be in vain. And the Bible that we're reading says it's possible to receive it and it be in vain because it's up to you. Is the kingdom producing a harvest in you or have your idols blocked its display? In John 10, we see Jesus' interaction with the church of His day. Are you ready? In John 10, starting in verse 22, Then came the Feast of Dedication, that's Hanukkah, at Jerusalem. It was winter. By the way, Hanukkah is a biblical holiday. Christmas is a celebration of Augustus Caesar's birth, but you do with that what you want. Then he came, then came the Feast of Dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple area walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews gathered around him saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Are people in suspense waiting to see what you are? Or do they just assume you're like every other person? Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The miracles I do in my Father's name speak for me. What speaks for you, friends? Your doctrinal statement? What speaks for you? An ecclesiastical endorsement? You know, I met licensed ministers that were not born again. I have met those who were ordained by their peers and were just as much sons of hell as their peers. What speaks for you? Where is the supernatural fruit that the Scripture says will accompany those who believe? Did you simply pray a prayer after someone else and raise a pinky? Have you committed to live a pretty good life as long as it's not too inconvenient? Have you camped in churches precisely because they made you feel good about yourself when you needed to be broken over your condition? You know, 
When Jesus said the miracles that I do, they speak for me. It reminded me of John 7. Keep your finger in John 10. And in John 7, look at John 7, 21. Jesus said to them, I did what kind of miracle? One miracle. I did one. We're just talking about one here. By the way, he's talking about John 5, 9, when he healed a man who had been crippled for 38 years. You talk about shaking up the status quo? He's been there for 38 years. No one helps him. And he speaks with Jesus for a few minutes and everything changes. How do you represent God as a nation and somebody's there for 38 years and nothing happens? Jesus is there for three minutes and something happens. How about the woman who was bent over from an evil spirit in the book of Luke? She'd been that way 17 years going to synagogue, but she meets Jesus and he commands it to let her go. How long will we settle for the status quo around us when Jesus showed up? Everything changed and he's formed in you. Do you expect it to change? Are you okay with the state of things as they are? Jesus said to them, I did one miracle and you're all astonished yet because Moses gave you circumcision, though actually it didn't come from Moses, but from the patriarchs, you circumcise a child on the Sabbath. Now, if a child can be circumcised on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses may not be broken, why are you angry with me for healing the whole man on the Sabbath? Stop judging by mere appearances and make a right judgment. Do you know who judges by mere appearances? Jude says those who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. They're the men who are dividing you. Do you notice how the gravitation in the leadership was to go to points of doctrine and away from the miraculous? Tell me we don't have the same problem. Tell me that we don't work to make sure that everything is presented perfectly except the miraculous power of God. We exalt teachers who can say a thing in a certain way but have never done what they're talking about. My very brief collegiate career, sitting with a man who was supposed to be teaching marketing, and I'm like, <clears throat> yes, where have you worked? Well, for the university. Oh, so... <laughs> Just to be clear, you've never actually marketed anything. <laughs> this is what we're doing in church. We all confidently affirm something that we've never experienced. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is to be personally experienced. Yeah, don't even get us to the economics professors. It's to be personally experienced, to be carried out in your daily life. You say, well, pastor, I just, I haven't had the chance. Well, you get to today. Pastor, I, I'm, I'm looking for the opportunity. Well, they're all around us. How many people have you met that are enslaved by sin? How many people have you met that are sick? How many people have you met that have never met a real Christian? You know, one of the taxi cab drivers that we met in Trinidad, his last name was Paul, like the apostle. First name was Nicholas, Nicholas Paul. The problem with church, pastor, is that everybody's a hypocrite. Well, then, Nicholas, why don't you stand up and be a real one? You know, that had never occurred to him. How is that? Could it be that we're used to hearing all of the right things but never expecting to see any of them? How do you get 5,000 Christians together on a weekend and you don't produce one supernatural thing? 
How does that happen? Well, nobody's expecting it. He said, Pastor, just to be clear, the most supernatural thing is when someone's been born again. Oh, agreed, sir. Who got born again? The one that raised his pinky in the back? Is that, is that what? Now we've reduced the work of God to the most supernatural thing that ever happens is... Oh, behold the power of God. I'll call it a supernatural miracle when the life is totally revolutionized and they show up at your church the very next day so hungry for the Word of God they don't know what to do, but you don't even expect that, do you? If they come twice a month and throw some change in the plate, we're all good. In John 10, 25, I did not tell you, I did tell you, but you did not believe. The miracles I do in my Father's name speak for me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they... Are you following Jesus' voice? Do you know His voice? Is your most basic question still, how does God speak? Because if that is still your question, you know what has happened? He's not spoken to you. When He speaks to you, you will know it. Have you settled for hearing from men when you could hear from God? I've given them, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Again, the Jews picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many great miracles from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? Church, are you and Jesus one? When He speaks, do you act? Are you to Jesus like Jesus was to the Father? Are you so submitted to Him that your work is His work and you've come to bring it to completion? Are you like the Apostle Paul that you fill up in your body what is lacking in regard to the afflictions of Christ? Or is He just an addition to your already perfect life? We are not stoning you for any of these, replied the Jews but for blasphemy because you a... What's it say? What's it say? You a mere man claim to be God. You just a regular, ordinary, base human being are claiming to be something more. Maybe that's, uh, maybe that's the heart of the issue. Maybe the status quo for Christianity is that we're just ordinary men. After all, we've adopted ridiculous catchphrases like, we're just all sinners. Really? Then how is Christ formed in you if you're just a sinner? If you are a participator in the divine nature, how are you just an old sinner? Maybe we've boiled this thing so far down that nobody expects anything. In fact, when they thought he was claiming to be more than a man, what did they want to do? Oh, you mean when you confront the kingdom and the kingdom's in you and it grows in you, you will be persecuted? Let me ask you, how are you doing with that? Is your behavior, your actions, so identified with Christ that people want to treat you like Christ? Pastor, it's kind of a scathing word. It's only a scathing word if you're on the wrong side of it. It's an encouraging word if you're on the right side of it. If you find this scathing, maybe you need to find it scathing. Let me ask you, are you more than a regular, ordinary, base human being? 
Because if His Spirit is in you, if He's being formed in you, you're an ambassador of the Most High. Wherever you go, you are the apex predator. Whatever room you enter into, it begins to change because you are there. Oh, come on, saints. If you knew the extent to which that is good news... It means that your hunch is no longer your hunch. Your own idea is no longer just your own idea. The very Spirit of God that raised Christ Jesus from the dead is operating inside of you. Unless, of course, He's not. You might be sitting in here among the totally sold out, just occupying a seat. While it is not true, that a sign of numerical growth is a sign of health. Well, that is not true. You know what is true? The extent to which your life is being revolutionized, that's a sign of growth. Let me ask you, can you honestly say that you're closer to Jesus now than you were last year? Can you honestly say that a year from now you'll look at this time period as, I was a babe in Christ? Because that's the goal. There is no coasting. There's no backing up. Every single time that you see a parable in the kingdom, let's just take a few of them. The kingdom of God is like leaven. It works its way through the... Kingdom of God is like mustard seed. Though it's the smallest of all, it grows into the largest of all. Do you hear the growth? It is always expanding. Did you hear in John 7, he said, because I did one miracle among you? Now he says in John... 1031, again the Jews picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus said to them, I have shown you many great miracles. Even in Jesus' life, the expression of the Father was growing and growing and growing and growing. So much so that he raises a man from the dead after four days. Let me ask you, is the testimony of the Scripture that Jesus was heads and tails above and beyond us and so that the things that Jesus did, we should never expect to do? Is that the testimony of the Scripture? I'm going to get to those, but pick up with this verse for just a second. John 10, 37. Do not believe me unless I do what my Father does. Can you say that? Are you asking people to believe you because you can do what the Father tells you to do? Are you asking them to believe you because, I don't know, my pastor said it and there's an awful lot of people that go to our church. There's a lot of people don't go to church. Does that make them right? I mean, these days, there's an awful lot of people that uh, go to football games. Does that make them right? We need to stop appealing to worldly success as a uh, substitute for spiritual authority. You know, it's a telling thing that when you meet people, the first thing that they ask you is, where did you go to seminary and how many people are in your church? I just came from a bunch of naked uh, indigenous peoples and they didn't measure each other that way. Why don't we walk up to pastors and say, when's the last time you prayed for somebody and you saw the miraculous supernatural power of God manifest in their life? Open any blind eyes this week? Why don't we ask that? Because we don't expect it. I mean, we just want them to be good-looking, articulate, be able to draw a crowd. Guys, that's marketing. That's business. 
fact, it's business as usual. Do not believe me unless I do what my Father does. But if I do it, even though you do not believe me, believe the miracles that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. How will the world know that Jesus is inside of you? It will be by what you do. They will know that Jesus is inside of you by what you do. While you think on that subject, I would submit to you that Mark 16, 17 was true when Mark wrote it. It's true today. It will be true a hundred years from now. It will never be any less true. Mark 16, 17 says, And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. And when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on the sick people and they will get well. Take out your black highlighter. Mark it right out. In Mark, when he said, go into all the world, he said, these signs will accompany you. Do you know what that means? That means when you show up somewhere, these things should show up with you. That's what that means. It means when you proclaim the gospel, it's not a matter of words only, but also power. Let me encourage you with Hebrews 10. We're going to put Hebrews 10.35 on the screen. In Hebrews 10, he says, So do not throw away your confidence. Have you thrown away your confidence? Do you no longer... You prayed one time for somebody in a wheelchair. You didn't see him get out of a wheelchair. And so now you just don't think you can put yourself out there like that again. Well, let me ask you. If you were in the wheelchair, how many times would you want to be prayed for? Let's just be really clear. I prayed for a lot of people in wheelchairs that didn't get out, but I've prayed for some that did. How do you think the ones that did feel? Well, one thing's for sure. We pray for them. It's possible that they don't get out of the wheelchair. It's always possible that I missed it. But if I don't pray for them, what happens? I'm not betting the statistics, friends. I, I, I'm simply saying every time, with all of your heart, why don't you expect to see the work of Christ? Have you settled into, well, you know, my doctrine's pretty, pretty good. Well, good for you and your doctrine. Your doctrine that doesn't work itself out practically in your life, I say it's practically worthless. Everybody loves Charles Finney, but they don't like what he said. He said that. Oh, Charles got so many people saved. The greatest American evangelist of all time. He was hated by the church in his day. In fact, talk about popular Christian messages. You show me a prophet that wasn't hated. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what He has promised. What do you have to do, saints? Persevere. You have to persevere. For in just a very little while, He who is coming will come and not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. Not a one-time expression of faith. Not a single prayer of faith. How do you live? You live trusting in the Lord. And if He shrinks back, I will not... Be pleased with Him. I want to encourage you that you can lay it on the line. You are a son of God. You should expect the work of God. Christ is in you. His Spirit is in you. You participate in the divine nature. If you're sick in this room today, you watch. This pastor will put his faith, his trust on the line. We'll pray for every sick person. And you know what? 
you'll get healed. If you're in this room and you have had chains in your life, the kind of things you would rather not share with other people, you would rather people not define you or know you by, understand something. You give the devil power over you when you keep secrets. When you come into contact with the real transforming work of God, it requires of you poverty of spirit. You know what that means? A poor person doesn't care that you know their circumstances. They just have such great need that they just throw it out there. If you have an area of your life that is eating your lunch, and right now the devil is saying, it's not really eating your lunch. It, it was just that one time, and of course the week before that, and, and for the month before. In fact, I can't think of a year of my life where it hasn't been there. But, but I mean, it's all good. We got it under control, right? You sound like every other sin addict. If you have an area of your life that is eating your lunch, we'll pray for you and the power of God will break its back. Amen. Amen. Pastor, will you pray for this one? It has a python spirit that has entered it. Well, absolutely. I was hoping to see an anaconda on this trip. <laughs> oh, you're just a wicked devilish spirit trying to monopolize a little girl's body. What a coward you are, hiding in a little girl. You know what? When the sons of God show up, there is freedom. There is freedom. In Acts 14, Matthew, you can come up here. Don't you close your Bibles. In Acts 14, 11, look at what happens when Paul and Barnabas show up on the scene. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, somebody say what Paul had done. Not what he believed, not his perfect doctrinal statement, not his beautiful airbrush, teeth-whitened smile. When they saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down in human form. Now lay aside for a moment the fact that Paul was not looking to be worshipped. Lay aside for a moment the fact that Barnabas did not want that either. Look at the reaction of the people. These Christians do things that make us think that they are. Of course we don't want to be seen as gods, but we want our actions to be attributed to God and only He could do it. Oh, church. In Acts 16, they broke open the jail's locked doors. And you know what? Paul wouldn't even leave. In Acts 19, there were extraordinary miracles done so that if Paul prayed over a handkerchief, people were healed. In Acts 5, Peter's shadow, <laughs> shadow healed people. We want a New Testament church. How many thousand times have you heard that? Well, when will some New Testament Christians rise up? Any of you have faith for miracles? Any of you have a desire to rescue the needy? To defend the cause of the widow and the orphan? See, what this really boils down to is that God invested his reputation in you. I mean, that's really what it boils down to. The word Christian means Christ-like. 
And I don't think he invested his reputation in you so that we could drive Mercedes, live in gated communities, and brag about how big our churches are. In fact, there's one guy in the Bible, they said he speaks like a god and not a man. He got struck in the face by an angel, fell down and was eaten by worms. Why do you love the people that you love? Why do you look up to them? Jesus Christ wanted you to judge him by the works that he performed. Do you want people to judge you by what you say is in your heart? I say what's in your heart is displayed in your actions. Could you stand to your feet? 